In this episode of Calming the Chaos, I'm talking to Dr. Robert Saul, who is a pediatrician of over 40 years, and he's an author and was inspired to write a series of op-eds and a book after the Columbine shootings in 1999. And his book, which is called My Children's Children, Raising Young Citizens in the Age of Columbine is one of the focuses of our conversation today. Now, I originally interviewed Dr. Saul back in October of this year, so just about a month ago, and then the Oxford High School shootings happened in Michigan, and I thought I might want to go ahead and reach out to him by phone, and we did talk on December 4th. And so this episode of Calming the Chaos will be a little different than most of them in that I will have sprinkled into the interview I did on October 11th. I'll also have some conversation with myself and Dr. Saul about the Oxford High School shootings that happened just after Thanksgiving this year. So this interview is just a couple of professionals getting together talking about parenting and the chaos of parenting in light of some of the violent things that are happening in our world today. I hope you enjoy today's podcast and it's called The Chaos of Parenting with Dr. Robert Saul. Hello and welcome to Calming the Chaos podcast where we talk with people around the world who can help you find peace in a chaotic world. I'm your host, Tracy Canella, licensed mental health counselor, certified eating disorder specialist, and advanced clinical hypnotherapist. Calming the Chaos podcast is for those who want self-help resources and education. It's not a substitute for counseling or psychotherapy. So if you like what you hear, please subscribe and share it with your friends. Thanks so much for listening. And now, let the chaos begin. This episode of Calming the Chaos, I have with Dr. Robert Saul, and he is a retired pediatrician, but still very active in the field. He has more than 44 years of experience working with children, families, and parents. And in this podcast, Dr. Saul is going to be talking with us about the main issues that are causing parents today chaos. And I hope he's going to be able to offer us some tips, tools, and techniques so that we can help calm our chaos. He is an author of several books, which we'll go into, and I'm just so pleased to have him here. Welcome, Dr. Saul, to Calming the Chaos. Um, thank you so much. It's a real pleasure to be here, and I'm looking forward to this uh, this talk. Oh, so am I. I love talking about kids and about the future of our nation or whatever you want to call it, our world, really, when you think about it. And so, yeah, let's start talking about you a little bit, about how, how you got interested in the field of pediatrics, maybe your story, whatever you want to share with us, just so we can get to know you a little bit better. Sure. I uh, Once I uh, went to medical school, I wasn't quite sure what I wanted to do when I finished my training. Uh, but I, uh, at the, near the very end, I decided on pediatrics. And, and then as I was working in pediatrics, I wanted to also work in uh, genetics and birth defects. So in addition to doing a pediatrics residency, I also did a medical genetics fellowship at the time. Uh, 
But once I got into practice, and this was in 1979, a uh, long time ago, the uh, I uh, got very involved in my the practice of medicine and sort of just unrelenting and trying to make sure I was the best doctor I could be for in so many different ways. And about 14 years into this, I realized I wasn't paying back to my community like I wanted to. Um, so, and I heard a talk. I went to hear a healthcare futurist. I wasn't quite sure what that was, uh, uh, but I thought, what the heck? And I heard 12 words that have sort of been my mantra going forward uh, that have really made a difference in terms of my ability to sort of calm some of my chaos, if you will, and hopefully help some others uh, look toward the same sort of response. I heard that for anything that happens in the community, we need to th say, I am the problem, I am the solution, I am the resource. Mm -hmm. So those 12 were, it took a while for me to internalize those words. Like when oftentimes you hear things, you go, wow, that's really good, but what do I do? <laughs> what what difference do I make? And so I took me a couple months really to, in my busy schedule to sort of internalize those and then say, okay, since anything that happens in community is my problem, it's not their problem, uh, and I need to be the solution, I need to devote my resources to it. So what can I do? So I went and went to the community leaders and said, you know, put me in. If I do have a trusted voice as a pediatrician, in the community, and I've been in the community 14 years, I'd like to think I could use that in a positive way. So I got involved in a variety of things, Chamber of Commerce, a variety of things. Um, and in some ways, I was sort of smugly thought I was really doing a good job. And then uh, and then I got a comeuppance. Uh, in uh, April 20th, 1999, two teenagers walked into a high school in Littleton, Colorado, massacred 13 people, killed themselves. And I asked myself, could that happen in my community? The answer was yes. It actually had happened uh, some years prior in a smaller scale. And then I said, well, what have I done to make a difference? And again, that honest answer was not enough. Hmm. So I put pen to paper. Back then we did that. We put pen to paper. Um, and... Uh, and wrote an, an op-ed article, first time I'd ever done that for the local newspaper, um, and outlined, I don't know where these came from, they just came from inside, what I consider to be the five steps to community improvement. Uh, and if you fast forward 13 uh, year, 14 years, I wrote over 160 op-ed articles to the local newspaper uh, about what each of us could do to improve our community, uh, and published that in my first book, um, my children's children raising young citizens in the age of Columbine. I love listening to the story because it does involve, you start in on it really super like, okay, I'm a pediatrician. I want to give back to my community. And then Columbine happened, right? And, and did you come up with this idea of raising children to be good citizens as a result of Columbine? Or were you already doing that? that specific um, goal wasn't articulate. I didn't know before. I mean, I always thought I wanted in my parenting role or in my role as a pediatrician, giving parents counseling about parenting. I'd like to think I was doing that, but I was much more intentional after I started on this introspective quest, writing these articles, mm -hmm. coming up with 
what I consider to be the five steps to community improvement. Uh, learn to be the best parent you could be, get involved, stay involved, love for others and forgiveness. And though sort of expanding on those five steps sort of led me down the road that I realized that we needed to do much, that we all could do much better in terms of being good citizens. Um, and let me just expand briefly on those five steps. So I specifically chose the words for learn to be the best parent you could be. Um, because one, parenting is a constant learning experience. Uh, it's never done. Uh, even when your children are grown, uh, and as mine are, uh, and then when you become a grandparent, uh, it sort of, sort of is, continues, it's never ending. That's the exciting part about parenting is you're constantly learning. But I also chose to be the best parent you could be. Not everyone has the same circumstances. Not everyone has the same educational background, socioeconomic status, uh, uh, mental health status. Uh, and all of those factors contribute to your ability to parent. Because uh, one of the things I've learned is, it, is it's not my role to tell people what they should be doing. It's my role to help enable them. It's my role to help empower them to become the best parent they can be. Uh, and in many ways, it's my role to sometimes gently peek behind the curtain and see uh, what I can see to help them going forward. Uh, it's easy for me as a pediatrician in my early career, I'm sure he did. This is what you need to be, to, you know, you need to do A, B, and C now that your child's six months, 12 months, 18 months. Uh, it isn't that easy. <laughs> I learned that as I became a parent, uh, and I learned that over the you know four plus decades uh, of being a being a pediatrician, dealing with a whole host of folks. And then you want to make sure you get involved um, if you're going to do those twelve words. I am the problem. I am the solution. I am the resource. Mm -hmm. uh, but then it's sometimes it's easy to get involved, but you need to stay involved. Things will change. Things will, courses will alter. You're not going to be a, 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 a Boy Scout uh, or a Cub Scout den leader for 20 years. You're going you're to change your course. So you need to uh, stay involved in different things. The fourth one, love for others, I think is the most intuitive. It would seem to make sense that we should be doing that, whether you're a person of faith or not a person of faith. But we seem to have gotten off course with that in today's society, where everything is so divisive. Uh, everything is us versus them that we don't do that as well as we should. But I think the fifth one has been the most eye-opening for me, forgiveness. Uh, that's uh, it's been a real journey. And at the very beginning of this journey, I think one of the real uh, eye-openers for me was reading the book Tuesdays with Maury. Um, and uh, where uh, this uh, sports reporter sort of feel, felt like he got off track and he uh, found out that his, one of his prized college professors was dying from Lou Gehrig's disease. So he went back to visit him every Tuesday and sort of hear, hear the lessons of life. Uh, but one of the most important lessons, I think, was forgiveness. That is, and it's, it's simplified here, but you want to forgive yourself first. Uh, for what you're thinking or what you're doing, then forgive others and do it now. So those 
Um, that's sort of the five steps. And going over those five steps sort of taught me that I think what we've lost track track of in our society is being good citizens, caring for each other, caring about each other. Um, and that's, that's why the subtitle to the book, Raising Good Citizens in the Age of Columbine. Right. So this was developed, the five steps were developed out of your op-eds that you were writing through a period of time. And then you expanded on that and wrote it into a book called My Children's Children, Raising Young Citizens in the Age of Columbine. Is yes. that right? Yes. Yeah, I think I might actually have a picture of it here. This is not. This is the book, I believe, that's on your website. And, that is correct. Uh, yes. So, uh, Dr. Saul's uh, website is in the notes, but it, it's also going to be on screen. It is www.mychildrenschildren.com, and he's got all kinds of resources on there to be helpful. So, this was written back right like right in right after Columbine is that correct yeah well I mean it was I wrote all the op-ed articles and I shared them with people across the country and they said you need to turn that into a book um, so around 2010 2011 I, I started putting it into a book and and self-published it in 2013 um, and specifically chose the title my children's children uh, um, Pediatricians tend to be fairly paternalistic. Maybe that's not, or maternalistic. Maybe that's not good. But I think it's, I wanted to make sure I was writing the book for my children's children, any grandchildren that I have, and I now have two, uh, for my children's children, the children that I've cared for during my over four decades of practice, and then my children's children, any children that I've advocated for uh, over my career. And that's probably where I'm uh, doing most of my work right now. Yeah, I asked my husband the other day, where do you listen to what the kids are listening to? And he was kind of going like, arr, arr, I don't know, TikTok, go to <laughs> go to Instagram, go to Snapchat or something like that. And it's just, I found that even though I work with children, which is age 13 and up, uh, as far as I'm concerned in my private practice, I still feel like maybe I'm not as connected to today's kid as I could be. And I wonder if that is part of what you do because you're still very active in helping parents and uh, you know help them, helping them in this task of creating good citizens. So how do you connect with, with kids? Well, well the, the honest answer is now that I'm retired, um, I don't connect as well with them as I used as when I was uh, seeing them in the office. Um, but I'd like to think that when I'm trying to keep, and the president of the South Carolina chapter of the American Academy of Pediatrics, so I'm on this constant educational journey uh, for what my colleagues are going through now and how I can advocate on their behalf uh, in terms of uh, the, the, the good and the bad of, of social media, uh, and then trying to help parents negotiate uh, some of the good and the bad of social media. So I'm not, I don't have my pulse to write on children and social media in terms of specifically what they're looking at. Um, but I'm trying to learn as much as I can uh, and get the message out to parents uh, and my colleagues uh, through advocacy and what we can do 
through our professional organization. The American Academy of Pediatrics represents 67,000 pediatricians nationwide, and we're constantly trying to understand what we can do to help our colleagues and what we can help parents uh, advocating for children on their behalf. When I spoke to Dr. Saul on the phone on December 4th, I asked him about the parents of the Oxford High School shooter. Specifically, shouldn't they have been more aware of the warning signs of possible mental illness? And also, uh, why would they put a nine millimeter assault weapon in the hands of a 15 year old? Here is what Dr. Saul had to say. It's interesting, after the, the Columbine shooting, I got really interested and read all sorts of books. And, you know, as a parent, at least for me as a parent, I asked myself the question, how could I, if my child did such a heinous act and then killed himself, how could I not know that? How could I not at least have some inkling? Um, and I, I remember sometime after the Columbine, Dylan Klebold's mother did a 60 Minutes or one of, one of those shows uh, about how she just didn't, in retrospect, obviously, she could recognize some things. But at the time, it just, there weren't all the clues that one might need. Uh, so many of the things were hidden. Uh, and so many of the things were him uh, with, his, uh, with his friend that was a very toxic uh, relationship. In contrast... This this uh, episode seems like mental. I mean, again, we don't know all the facts yet, uh, and that will take a while. But this just screams mental health, even before we know the events of the a day, the several days around the time. Because apparently there had been a, a call to the parents; they didn't come. Apparently, there you know the day of the shooting, they actually came to the to the school. Um, and then we find out that days before they had uh, enabled, uh, essentially enabled their son, empowered their son to do something heinous by buying a 15-year-old some sort of pistol. You might, you know, I, I don't know how you feel about firearms. I'm not a, I'm not a fan. Uh, but if I was going to do anything, it would be something for hunting, I presume. Nothing that uh, is basically designed to kill somebody. Uh, I certainly wouldn't get that for my son. Mm. And I would suspect in some way, shape or form, he has been troubled. Mm. Uh, and so I guess the, for me, one of the take home messages is, you know, as parents, we always we concentrate on physical health. I mean, if a child has a sore throat, bellyache, headache, you know, we're, we're usually quick to... Uh, sort of attend to those needs uh, and uh, take them to the doctor if they need to. Mental health is just, and of course you know this as well as I do, mental health uh, is just thrown into the basement and we pull up the stairs. Uh, and it's, you know, we'll come get you when, when we're ready to maybe think about it. And it just is so discouraging. It's just so appalling. And, it, and if I try to integrate, you know, mental health into the the whole issue of citizenship that I've talked about, understanding and caring for the mental health of our loved ones and those around us, is, it has to be so much more ingrained in what we do uh, than where we are now. 
since Dr. Saul really was affected by the principle of forgiveness in helping us to raise good citizens in the age of Columbine, I asked him to expand on his thoughts of forgiveness in light of this most recent Oxford High School shooting in Michigan. And here's what he had to say. It's very difficult in this circumstance to forgive the child and forgive the parents. Um, but I think in, um, eventually that has to happen. But to do that, we have to forgive ourselves for for being able to not forgive them uh, in some way and extending an under understanding for the circumstances that we don't know. I also asked Dr. Saul on December 4th how we might inspire parents to be good citizens, even if they don't want to, and also inspire our children to be good citizens in light of all the violence that is going on in our world today. And here was what Dr. Saul had to say. I want people to be good citizens. I'm the problem, I'm the solution, I'm the resource. And we want them to be good citizens and we want them to care about others. We want them to, to care for each other and we want them to be uh, always on the lookout for others. Um, that still comes from the parents. Uh, and, mm -hmm. and again, it's not just their physical well-being. I think the parents need to be tuned in to the mental health issues of those around them. Uh, again, far too often, if, if, a, if parents see the friends or the peers of a child and see some abnormal behavior, they're quick to pull the trigger and, and instead of to empathize at times, they're quick to pull the trigger and say, boy, he's not right or she's not right or um, I don't understand, how, how could they be so crazy? Um, and we've all been guilty of that, uh, but that's where that's how we need to change. We need to learn empathy. We need to be able to put ourselves in other people's shoes. We need to gently peer behind that curtain and try to figure out what. Uh, instead of saying what's wrong with you, it's it's more like what happened to you, um, and uh, that can be so empowering as we try to help folks. You know, it's easy to point out the, the faults of, of others, but it's not so easy to understand how they, those faults might have developed. Again, instead of saying what's wrong with you, it's what happened to you. What, what experiences happened to you in the past that have led to this behavior? What unfortunate series of events uh, or relationships uh, could have led to this? And how can we do better? Uh, much more proactive than reactive. And I love that you use that uh, sort of that metaphor and that description of quick to pull the trigger because that is what happens in these school shootings. So there are parents out there who would who love your message. They absolutely love your message. And then there are people on the other end that are not even wanting to hear it, right? They're the ones that are maybe quick to pull the trigger or maybe quick to dismiss any other ideas, any ideas other than their own that they believe are true and right. What about those parents 
in communities who don't want improvement, who just want to stay in their own lane. And we just forget about them and, and move forward? Well, you know, I'm one of those that never forgets about them. Uh, but I get as frustrated as you do. And the analogous situation is is what we, where we stand right now with vaccines and masks in the pandemic. I mean, they're, you know, they're determined to know they're right and we're wrong and we can't take their freedoms. Uh, the same sort of thing happens here. You know, I, I'm right. I know how to raise my kid. Those other people are wrong and you can't tell me what to do. Um, how do we get that message to them? Well, um, I think we, we just keep working with the kids and hopefully there's some spillover. And what I mean by that is you look at where we are now uh, in terms of, um, well, a couple things. You know, think of when you and I were growing up, almost everyone we knew smoked. Uh, and now look where we are. Yeah. Not many people smoke or a lot less people smoke. Um, in, t in terms of racial intolerance, it's less. In terms of homophobia, it's less. Do we have a long way to go? Absolutely. In terms of, and or in terms of, you know, acceptance for transgender people, uh, it's better, but it's not as good as it should be. So I think we just have, and, and I think where really the change occurs is what the youngsters bring home and and, and change in their parents uh, going mm -hmm. forward. Because when they finally grow up, then generational changes occur. Mm -hmm. um, because there's, an, you know, there's another kid, another family ready to do the same thing. Right. And we need to figure out how to reach out to them or make sure they could reach out to us. If we were to sit around um, and even in a, a, a general group of parents in a high school and say, could this, could this problem happen in our school? And, and if everyone didn't, if 100% of people didn't say yes, they're obviously they're, they were either asleep or haven't paid attention. Uh, and so then the next point is, okay, so how can we forgive ourselves for not understanding how this could happen? Mm. Um, and how do we forgive ourselves for not being a part of the solution uh, that this not after the fact, but before it might happen. Yeah, no kidding. You know, because uh, forgiveness, I think, is, I agree with you, is, is something that we need to do. Or even at least uh, how I was trained in counseling is understanding it in the context of what actually happened. And uh, so if there is not forgiveness, at least there's understanding about how it could have happened and how we can do better going forward, right? Yeah. Right. Have you kept up at all on the whole Facebook whistleblower and all of that news that is coming out around that and about the effects that social media has had on our children? And uh, what what is uh, what is your insight about that uh, and uh, or opinion or just anything that you'd like to say about social media and kids? Well, I think social media parents need to understand and be a part of their child's social media immersion. Uh, it's not and should not be an independent uh, thing that children are doing, uh, and especially their teens. Uh, it's easy just to say, "Well, I hope uh, they're behind closed doors and they're they're listening to what I'm telling them about doing this." And the Amer again, the American Pedi American Academy of Pediatrics has worked hard to engage in Instagram 
um, Pinterest, uh, TikTok, uh, Facebook, and those other things in terms of trying to advocate for what the positive things that are coming out, but the absolute negative things that are coming out. I mean, you know, I keep reading about uh, Instagram and now that Instagram is a part of the Facebook family uh, and, and how, you know, teens are so wrapped up in it and the images that it portrays. Um, and, you know, there certainly are positive things that can come out of that for, for some children and some teens that are undergoing some internal chaos. There might be certainly some positive things that with that, but we certainly know there are potentially very negative ills uh, that, that can occur with that. So it's, you know, parents cannot do this when it comes to their children's uh, social media. So what you're saying is parents should be more involved and actually partner up with their kids when they are allowing them to go on social media platforms. Is that correct? Yes, yeah. absolutely. Is there a way that we could help parents to do that? I don't know if there's a formula. Maybe I'm just sort of wishing here. But, you know, I know that kids, especially when they get to be teens, they're moving toward more independence. And sometimes parents get kind of worn down about the chaos of being a parent to a teen. Is there any kind of tools or tips that you might offer parents? <laughs> the, well, um, I have a tool. It's not the be all and end all, uh, but, I, but I have a tool or a process that I think is very helpful. And it starts after birth. Um, and this, it, it's actually the topic of my, of my last book or my most recent book, uh, Conscious Parenting Using the Parental Awareness Threshold. And so let me go over that because I think that's a helpful tool. It, it gets more difficult to use in the teen years, certainly, but I think it's still applicable. Um, when I was changed jobs late in my career, I went through some leadership training. Um, and there was a there was a term called conscious leadership. And I really sort of embraced that in many ways, conscious leadership when you're, and they sort of had a line, when you're above the line, when you're a conscious leader, you're open, you're receptive, you're ready to learn. When you're below the line, you're closed, you're defensive, and I'm always right. Uh, now, we're humans, we're going to be above and below the line all the time. Uh, the whole point is just being conscious of where you are. An example is you're in that three o'clock meeting and you're saying to yourself, this is the most boring meeting I have ever heard. When's this thing going to be over? You're below the line. If you're conscious about it, you say, okay, I'm below the line. Do I want to stay below the line until this is over? That could be your choice. Or do I want to make a conscious effort to change? Do I want to be more open, receptive, and ready to learn? And so you can sort of then try to get above the line. Um, and so the whole point of conscious leadership is to get, is to be more conscious of where you are. Even when you're below the line, you're conscious of it, so you can try to make changes. I think that line holds for parenting. And I, and the, I have titled the line, the parental awareness threshold. When you're above the parental awareness threshold with your children, you're open, you're receptive, you're ready to learn. When you're below it, uh, you're closed, you're defensive, I'm right, I'm the parent because I said so. Um, and th that process of being above or below the line 
it happens in the moment when you're all of a sudden you're confronted with an issue, but it can also happen in retrospect. That is, you, you might have had that encounter with your teen, and we'll use teens here, um, where things didn't go well. And if you then take that introspective look and say, well, you know, I think they weren't listening. But in, in reality, was I listening to? Was I being a, was I consciously below this parental awareness threshold? Well, and if I was, what can I do to make a difference going forward? Um, and I sort of see a three-part process to that. Um, again, sort of simplified, but I think it's helpful, is when the, when you're in that situation where things aren't going well, you need to pause. You need to assess what's happening and then choose your response. Mm -hmm. You might choose the wrong response again. Um, and hopefully you will learn something from that. But maybe you'll choose something that's more positive uh, going forward. I mean, in, in a quick example is your teen comes home with a with a not so good report card. An easy below the threshold response is, I told you you weren't studying hard enough uh, and you you can't have uh, the car keys for a week uh, and all of your other privileges are gone. Uh, it might be worthwhile to take a more above the threshold approach and try to sit down and see indeed what was going on. Uh, maybe there's some uh, social, emotional issues. Uh, maybe there's some learning issues. Uh, maybe there's some family strife that has been contributed. There's so many things uh, that can, and now some people would see that as coddling. I'd see that as being uh, responsible uh, in terms of trying to understand. And now it could be that he or she indeed was just sloughing off their responsibilities to do their homework and to, and to study harder. So there might be some reasonable restriction of privileges but a, but a knee-jerk response of saying what you can't do one, two, or three yeah, is not helpful. Uh, if you did that at the time, hopefully what you could do with a trusted friend, observer, uh, be that your spouse, your sibling, your parents, whatever, is say, you know, this didn't go well. <laughs> um, and this is what I did. What do you think? I uh, How do you think I should have handled this? So you can start doing better going forward. I don't know how much you know about the the shootings in Michigan, but these parents were all over social media. They were saying, hey, this is the gun that we bought him and he's out here for target practice and here we are. And he's posting that he has a new gun. And like you said earlier, if you're gonna buy your kid a gun, why are you buying them a nine millimeter assault weapon? right? Yeah. Yeah. The type of gun that they chose to buy him, even if they say they didn't buy it for him, there's all this social media trail. And then there's the fact that the kid was there in the store with them when he bought it. Uh, and I guess the main thing is, you know, how, how are we going to be able to get people to parents to be able to pay attention to the fact that there even is a seller, as you say, in the parental awareness threshold. I think folks that have some understanding of, of behavior uh, and of, of parenting might 
be introspective enough to say, okay, could this, given the certain signals I've seen in my child or children, or, uh, is that a signal that this might be developing and how do I need to intervene in some way, shape or form? Um, I think there's still a lot of parents that aren't going to uh, accept that. Uh, but I think we just need to keep plugging along. And some of that, again, is, again, the younger generation. I think we need to have more mental health awareness in schools. Uh, I mean, you know, we have sex education. We have, I think we need to have parenting education myself. Uh, but we certainly need to be able to uh, have a significant amount of mental health awareness. And some schools are doing that, given the rise in teenage suicide. Mm -hmm. uh, but it's, but it's frightening uh, to see what's happening in terms of teenage suicide. Uh, and the fact that these, I, again, we don't know any of the details. This, uh, this young man was obviously disturbed before this, before this episode. Um, um, and the fact that the, um, he now was empowered with a gun is just frightening. Yeah. Yeah. Do you think that this is going to be an example for parents that maybe they will? Again, if their antenna was like, I'm, I'm thinking of a snail, right? Their antenna is completely down. They're not receptive to anything. Like, do you think their antenna will be a little bit more up now that there is this example of we've got the parents in custody? Without the parents being in custody, I would hope that this would be an example um, for for parents to be more attuned to things. With the parents now in custody, uh, I would hope that it, it's greater. But again, it then it becomes more of a you know you don't want to get into this you don't want to be in the slammer. So don't let this happen to you. Instead of paying attention to what's best for your child. Yeah, that's kind of a harm reduction approach uh, because we'll take anything that we can get at this point. If we anything that can get the antenna a little bit more up, even if it is a motivator of I don't want to be in the slammer, it's yeah. better than what's happening now. Is is my view of it? Um, yeah, I mean, I think the the freedoms to use as indiscriminately as I think they're used, guns in our society are a misguided privilege, not a freedom. Gun regulation is not gun elimination. Uh, and gun regulation makes perfect sense. Uh, and I guess to me, gun regulation is, is equivalent to essentially getting everyone to, if you can regulate guns in the same way, uh, getting vaccines in everybody to protect them is it can be just as sane uh, and not restricting and actually provide more freedom. You know, it kind of goes back to those 12 words that you mentioned earlier, only the parent is applying it to themselves. I am the problem, I'm the solution, I'm the resource. And so I think I, I can see a general theme emerging about how you are helping parents and teaching conscious parenting in your work. And, you know, the other thing with those 12 words um, is you can change the pronoun for the family. We are the problem. We are the solution and we are the resource. Um, so it doesn't just have to be me, though I, I'm going to have to uh, internalize that. But as a family, when we sit down for supper as a, or when we sit down for various events, we can start to look what, what can we do uh, as parents. 
Since Dr. Saul and I had previously talked about the parental awareness threshold, when I talked to him again on December 4th, I asked him how we might apply the parental awareness threshold to this situation with the parents and the shooter in the Oxford High School shooting. And here's what he had to say. When I talk about a parental awareness threshold, I'm talking about positive actions going forward. I see nothing positive in terms of buying a 15-year-old gun um, and not controlling it in some way, shape, or form. I mean, there are a lot of parents that are going to buy 15-year-old guns and go have target practice, and I guess that's okay. I don't like that. Um, but then if you're going to have it, uh, they are certainly in the cellar regarding the parental awareness threshold in terms of uh, making sure that the gun was locked uh, and there, or the gun was unable to be accessed uh, by the child uh, and the uh, any ammunition that, mm -hmm. that he uh, could have gotten uh, is certainly is unobtainable. My purpose of articulating conscious parenting and is what the first book had also is raising our children to be good citizens. I think as we've we've lost track of of uh, that, uh, good citizens care for each other, care about each other, uh, help each other. Um, and in our society where we have sort of adopted a approach of we're just looking for happiness, we forget of what we should be doing. And when my parents divorced when I was young, I remember my mother, I'm sure out of guilt, saying, Bob, I just want you to be happy. I just want you to be happy. Now, fortunately for me, she set a much better example than me just selfishly going out into the world uh, and making myself happy. Um, so she set the example for what I can and could be doing going forward. Um, so I think if we raise our children to be good citizens, happiness is a secondary effect. Uh, and uh, again, that maybe is oversimplified, but I'm really, I'm devoted to that principle uh, going forward. Yeah, so the overarching theme being that, again, uh, we are the problem, uh, we are the so solution, we are the resource uh, going into conscious conscious parenting and being aware uh, that parental awareness threshold is that line to where even if you go underneath it, being aware that you're underneath it and the five steps to community improvement, just so many resources you have for parents. Um, I wanted to ask you if you could offer anything in regards to uh, a, a parent, if they have just severe behavioral issues in their child. If they are, so we're talking about if a person has ADHD or autism, they're really struggling uh, and, and their own parental resources are getting worn down, getting used up. Do you have any tips for, for parents to calm their chaos or to be able to take care of their own self effectively so that they in turn will have the energy to use to support their child? Boy, that's a good question. And that's also a toughie because uh, what happens in the office sometimes is easy to say, but hard for that parent to do as soon as they get outside uh, in that situation. So I think it's important for that trusted counselor, the pediatrician, the licensed counselor, uh, the psychologist, the psychiatrist is to sort of help, uh, again, gently peer behind the curtain of the parent 
and see what resources they have uh, and what they can sort of guide them in ways that might be helpful. Uh, some parents might do very nicely with just uh, a pamphlet or a book or something. Some parents uh, might need that counseling, but some parents might not even have the resources to get to the counseling, might not, not have the ability to have a car uh, to get to the counseling. So some of that is is then using the, the social workers in your, wherever you are, engaging them and seeing what resources are in the community and seeing what sort of holistic approach one might be able to take. So I didn't answer your your question specifically in terms of of A, B, or C, uh, but I think it, it, it sort of depends on each individual encounter. Yeah. Well, and I do know that just the fact that you have all these resources uh, on your website and all the books that you have published uh, is actually a reassuring thing for parents. And uh, so I do have a clip from your website here. Um, I just love this picture. You look so happy. Dr. Saul deeply cares for all children. I just love this. Um, go visit uh, his website. He is uh, located at www.mychildrenschildren.com. And this is where you can also get books, right? You can order books through your website. Is that correct? That is correct. Um, and you were specifically, I mean, the other thing is, as I said, my my last book, Conscious Parenting, you, you can't pick it up and have all the answers. Uh, I, I specifically put it in the reference section, uh, many books uh, within the American Academy of Pediatrics that might be very helpful for parenting along their journey. Uh, there is no one easy book that's going to give you all the answers. It's it's reading, it's learning, it's understanding, it's altering, and then continuing that cycle. Mm -hmm. And and sometimes you get tired of it. I mean, so that's when you, if you well, that's when you get below the line. And again, there are going to be times when you're going to you know want to go outside and scream, mm -hmm. um, and that's okay too. Yeah, and that's when you draw upon the resources that are available to you in your local communities, right? So that's yeah. where it starts to be like though to from those who have lots of energy or more energy possibly because we're not parents anymore, we're grandparents or something else, then the, then those resources are provided hopefully to the parents who are really, really struggling or they're in a storm, the same storm as we all are in, but they're in a boat that is, you know, like a, a life raft that has a hole in it, right? So right. Right. we need to be there to offer resources to parents who are really super tired. Absolutely. Yeah, I have another, and I think these are all your books. Is that correct, uh, Dr. Saul? That's correct. And then the first one also, but the, the children's book is the uh, is a series of illustrations about what each of us can, can do in our community to make a, uh, to make a difference. Um, and it sort of tries to play on the themes from my children's children. The, the one in the middle, uh, Thinking Developmentally, uh, is is more of a scientific book. It goes over the uh, the a construct of early brain and child development, but and then that's the, for the first half of the book. And then then there's that. So what? Well, what do I do about this? The second half of the book tries to look at what you can do, what parents can do, what policymakers can do, what pediatricians can do, uh, what we as as social uh, policymakers 
uh, as citizens can do to make a difference and use this information. Awesome. Yeah, thank you for that. And again, these are available on Dr. Saul's website, www.mychildrenschildren.com. And so I was wondering if maybe we could circle around back to where you started, and that is Columbine. And so school violence and school shooting. I'm wondering if you could speak to uh, school violence or anything that you might be able to say to reassure parents. Well, I think uh, so much of that stems with hate. Um, and uh, so I think to, to, to reverse the trend in terms of hate, uh, that needs to start at home. Um, and uh, we can't eliminate all hate, but if we can start to really make a difference in terms of uh, what understanding. And so how do you get rid of hate? You get rid of hate by reconciliation. Uh, and reconciliation to me is meaningful dialogue where you're listening uh, and willing to accept what people are saying and to and seek a joint path going forward. Mm. Um, so I think what's, what's happening is we've lost track of that again in school. Now, <laughs> This I probably will never fly, but in my perfect world, uh, we have citizenship classes in school. Um, when I when I was in school, of course, the girls had home economics, uh, and the boys had woodshop, uh, and uh, and those things have probably gone by the wayside. Um, but citizenship, to me, is so important, and we don't teach it as well as we should. Uh, we need to be teaching people citizenship. Uh, and that can, uh, again, citizenship is whether you're a person of faith or not a person of faith. Um, and so I think it's so important that we learn to recognize the signs of hate um, and how we can try to turn that chaos around in our own family. Um, and it's so easy to say, uh, you're from the state of Washington, it's so easy to stay when that Washington versus Washington State football game comes up every year. Uh, boy, I hate those. I don't even know what the nicknames are. Um, boy, I hate those Cougars or boy, I hate those whatever. Don't use the word hate. Let's eliminate the word hate from our vocabulary. Um, I also Another word I want to eliminate from my vocabulary is the word stupid. Uh, when you say someone's stupid, uh, you're putting yourself above them. Um, and I think we need to understand uh, that we don't like their actions, uh, but are we really above them? Uh, uh, and so that, that's that's tough. I mean, because, um, and so many, and, and then the whole process of forgiveness too. I think we need to be looking at how we can practice forgiveness, uh, not just personal forgiveness, but I think social forgiveness is so important. It's wow. easy. It's easy for us to say it wasn't me; they did that, but it was us. Uh, mm -hmm. They, uh, they is us, uh, and uh, we need to be a part of that uh, solution. Again, I'm the problem. I'm the solution. I'm the resource. Uh, but we need to extend social forgiveness. A quick example was the the uh, American Medical Association years ago did not allow blacks black physicians. Um, they realized the error, uh, subsequently changed. But 15 plus years ago, they issued a, a group apology. 
saying we did wrong. Now, each of those people that said that, they did not do wrong. It was their predecessors that did wrong. But they realized as a group, that as an association, as a professional organization, they needed to acknowledge what they had done um, and forgive themselves first, ask forgiveness, and do it now. Um, and so what that, you just described was an example of social forgiveness? I think so. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And it helps you reset your moral compass going forward. If not your own personal moral compass, your group's moral compass going forward. Right. Yeah. Right. Well, so, uh, yeah, in terms of this, the violence, it is rooted in hate. So just being able to do your conscious parenting and use that parental awareness threshold to detect hate, either as a feeling or an action, or even eliminating that word from your vocabulary, and even going so far as to eliminate stupid. I would, I would personally like to eliminate a lot of judgments that we have uh, against each other that are not helpful. Uh, and that is that is my perfect world or what do you call it, Pollyanna-ish way of, of wanting things to be. So- um, Tracy's Nirvana. My Nirvana, <laughs> yeah. Well, I did wanna play, if you will allow me, a clip from your website uh, when you did an interview with the news. Uh, it's about two minutes long. Is sure. that okay if I play that? Absolutely. And then I'll meet you on the other side. Well, joining us today at noon, Dr. Robert Saul. He is the medical director of general pediatrics with Prisma Health Children's Hospital Upstate. Great to have you with us here today, Doc. Thank you. Uh, so tell us about this uh, new book you've co-written here, Thinking Developmentally. What does that mean? Well, what we found out is there's a great deal of science that's now available in terms of early brain and child development. And we can use that science to figure out how the brain is developing, what changes occur because of parenting, what changes occur because of the environment, and how that translates then into adult health. And we need to be doing so much more. So we wanted to take the science mm -hmm. that we now know and talk about what we should be doing in our communities. It's a very young age that, that lets you know what's happening for the future, isn't it? Correct. Yeah. So let's talk about it here. Healthy children, nurturing families, caring communities. That's not happening in a lot of communities, is it? Well, no, and that's, it, so it's, it, that tells you the problem is multifaceted. Mm -hmm. That so many of us need to contribute in so many different ways. We need to do everything we can for the children early on, making sure they're appropriately nurtured. Mm -hmm. We need to make sure when they hit the school age that they're appropriately nurtured. We need to help the fam. We need to empower the families to do what needs to be done, and we need to make sure the communities do what needs to be done. Yeah, you say this is a book for anyone who cares for children. Absolutely. Yeah, this is for everyone that cares about children. They might be a little think they're a little turned off by the science, mm -hmm. but the whole point of the back of the book is how to use this information in a positive way. Overall, what made you want to do this? Well, my career has been aiming me in the direction of what can we each of us do mm -hmm. to help our fellow citizens and help our neighbors. And that's where my, my career has been taking me. I like what it says on the cover here, dedicated to the health of all children. Here, here. Right? Correct. Yeah, it's amazing for those of us that grew up in a wonderful home with two parents and siblings, uh, it's hard to see others not having that. Correct. And But even those of us that grow up in two homes or a, mm -hmm. in a beautiful home with two parents, yeah. there can be issues that need, we all need help. It sure can be. A lot of pressures in this world, aren't there? Absolutely. All right, Dr. Saul, thank you so much. Thank for you. Bye. Many congrats and uh, good luck with the book. Thank you.
Aw, that just made me feel all warm and fuzzy. What about you? Well, well, thank you. It's it's nice to see uh, that interview again, and I'm uh, I stand by what I said. Right, building communities, really, and and that is, and, and we are again the problem. We are the solution. We are the resource in in our communities for sure. You, of course, can go to. Dr. Saul's website at www.mychildrenschildren.com to learn more about him, to see his books. Uh, Dr. Saul, it was such a great honor to have you here with us today. Is there any parting words of wisdom or otherwise you'd like to say? Well, I mean, no, I'm just, I've, I've really enjoyed this. Uh, uh, in, the, in the words of somebody who's now been discredited in some ways, but I still like the words, be well, do good work, keep in touch. Uh-huh. Well, I appreciate that and appreciate the work that you're continuing to do uh, in our world. And if, I guess concentrated in, in South Carolina where you live, but, uh, you know, in our world for sure. So thank you once again, Dr. Saul, for joining us on Calming the Chaos today. Thank you. I've, I've really enjoyed it. I asked Dr. Saul on December 4th when we talked on the phone about any parting thoughts or anything that he may have learned since this most recent shooting at Oxford High School in Michigan. And here's what he had to say. It's interesting. You know, when I had finished my first book, uh, and obviously that was spurred on by the Columbine shooting, but there, there have been shootings prior to that and there were shootings after that. And, and I talked about raising young citizens in the age of Columbine. I just finished the book when the Sandy Hook massacre occurred. And, and I was just numb up for the rest of that day. I just couldn't. Um, and so unfortunately I've become numb um, in, a, in a bad way mm. to the subsequent shootings. And I said, well, I guess it just happened again. Mm. Um, and so these shootings not only serve, each, each one should be unique and each one should ignite us in some way toward action. And so I, um, I guess what this phone call has done to me is, is recognize that, that I've got to quit being um, almost blasé and uh, reignite uh, myself and, and my efforts. And now I'd like to take some time to thank Dr. Saul for agreeing to an additional phone interview after I'd already interviewed him for Calming the Chaos podcast. And I'd also like to take this time to express my condolences and heartfelt uh, sorrow for the victims of the four children who died during the shooting at Oxford High School. Tate, Justin, Madison, and Hannah. May you rest in peace and may your family have peace. Thank you again for watching Calming the Chaos and take care. Thank you for listening to Calming the Chaos podcast. If the information in this podcast has been helpful, please consider subscribing and share it with your friends. You can find this podcast on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Google Music, Spotify, and on YouTube. You can also go to our podcast website at www.calmingthechaospodcast.com, where you can listen to all Calming the Chaos podcasts. Thanks so much for listening, and I look forward to sharing my next podcast episode with you. In the meantime, 
Take care.